Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is reminding businesses of the Curb to Compost program, which allows businesses, restaurants to have food waste collection. And this is an important next step in your business's or restaurant's recycling program. You're tuned in to episode 186 of the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, with you all the rest of the world. I do enjoy sharing quotes with you before we get into this podcast. So the quote I found today is from Emily Zola. If you shut up truth and bury it underground, it will but grow and gather to itself such explosive power that the day it bursts through, it will blow up everything in its way. Something to reflect on about telling the truth and having the expectation of people who you are connected with speak the truth as well. And folks, each of our episodes are possible through support of our sponsors. And support for this episode comes from Compass Real Estate, the region's largest and most dynamic real estate company in the Valley. For more information and to view current listings, visit compass.com. It's spelled just like it sounds. And additional support comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, which is announcing the new commercial Curb to Compost program for restaurants and other commercial food waste generators. And welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection, the place and space I share stories with you. Thank you, everybody. I'm very grateful for you tuning in today. Remember, others can enjoy this podcast just like you by you getting out there and sharing this podcast. Also, give us some feedback. What do you think about the guests? Do you have any thoughts, comments? I'd love to hear it. And today's guest is Stefano Daza Arango, otherwise known in these parts as the Worm Cowboy. I've learned so much from Stefano in this short period of time that I got to speak with him. Stefano's gonna share with us how life throws all types of situations at you. He shares with us how we respond to those situations is how we are defined as a person. And he also reflects how we can be active in our communities. Stefano is an entrepreneur and he's an entrepreneur with a heart of a conservationist. Being born in South America and learning from his grandfather, Stefano is carrying on the spirit of conserving, protecting and nurturing the land the earth. And those are lessons he learned from his family. I tell you, be prepared for some inspiration while listening to Stefano. He is the only person I've spoken with who has such an interesting, remarkable story, which he will share with us today. Stefano, thank you for joining me, Stefan, at the Jackson Hole Connection today. Nice to see you and meet you. Yeah, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm honored to be here. It's so exciting to be on the Jade Connection. Well, are you a regular listener? So I actually like learned about you guys through Instagram. I follow you guys and I, I see who you guys have on and I've heard a few of your podcasts. So I, I have heard a few and I, I think it's just really exciting to be on, you know, Jackson Hole's like biggest podcast. So 
it's an honor and I appreciate being on. Well, that's really nice of you to say. Um, <laughs> I guess I've never thought about this being Jackson Hole's biggest podcast, but hey, let's go with it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. You guys are killing it. You have a lot of podcasts up already. Well, been doing it since 2018. It's awesome. So just trucking away day by day. Yeah. So Stefano, um, why don't you share with everybody your full name? Yeah. So my name is Stefano Daza Arango. Mm -hmm. um, I'm 26 years old, just turned 26 this Sunday. And I'm originally from Venezuela, but now live here in Alpine, Wyoming. Is there some similarities to Venezuela and Alpine, Wyoming? Not many, except that where I'm from, I'm from an Andes town called San, San Cristobal, which is right on the border with Colombia. And we have beautiful mountains, just like we have beautiful mountains here in Alpine. But other than that, not a lot of similarities. Okay. And so living in the Andes... What's the elevation of the town you grew up in? Oh, man. <laughs> that is a good question. I have to get back to you on that one because I'm not sure. I never started paying attention to elevations until I moved here to, to Jackson Hole. So uh, I'll have to get back to you on the elevation of San Cristobal. Um, no problem. You can post that on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my guess is you're living in the Andes. Is I bet it's higher than here in Jackson anyway. And you just know no difference. So it is what it is. Yeah, it's it's weird because we didn't get that much snow. Hmm. Like, I guess it's because we're closer to the equator. And it's even though it's higher elevation, it's warmer. But there are parts of Venezuela, like um, Pico Bolivar, which is the highest mountain in Venezuela that gets a lot of snow, you know. And back in the day when Venezuela was a really prosperous country, we had one of the world's uh, best telescopes um, operating out of the, the Andean mountains that we have there. So yeah, it's an incredible place. Venezuela is beautiful, unfortunate what's going on with the country right now. And when, when all of it started was when my mom and I decided to leave Venezuela um, because it was getting really insecure. And we ourselves were victims of some of that insecurity. And mm -hmm. um, we moved from Venezuela to actual, actually Canada when I was uh, seven years old. And Shortly after that, moved to upstate New York, where is where I went to college. And then after graduating college, I, I moved here to, here to Jackson. Okay. Or Alpine. Now, what was it like for you? And well, before we get into you leaving Venezuela with your mom, I'm very curious. What was the community like? It Because I read on your bio that there was a farm that your grandfather had. So yeah. could you talk to us about your childhood a little bit of before you left? Sure. The memories that I have are really like beautiful, I guess. My grandfather um, had this beautiful house with a big sprawling backyard. It was, we called it El Conuco. Um, and basically, this is my closest idea of a Garden of Eden. We had all sorts of animals, tortoises, you know, tropical birds, all sorts of fruits and vegetables and everything growing in this backyard. And it was my grandfather's little paradise. And, you know, I grew up here learning how to take care of animals, playing with all sorts of dogs and finding all sorts of critters like, you know, frogs 
<laughs> snakes and um, getting dirty pretty much. This is where I, you know, found my love of nature and wildlife, I guess. And it influenced me for the rest of my life because I, I'm a huge um, nature person, I, you know, into conservation. That's why I moved here. And, you know, Venezuela, my childhood was great. It was being out and about, even though, you know, I, I, I was born with mild cerebral palsy that never held me back. So it was great. Um, and then, oh, my mom just told me it's 2,822 feet is San Cristobal elevation. So it's not as high as here, which is, but, um, so yeah, it was, it was beautiful and, you know, totally different than when I've been recently back to Venezuela. It wasn't as insecure, you know, it was a lot safer. And just now there's a lot of, um, people are just lacking basic things. So it's kind of sad, but back then, thank God I, I was never exposed to any of that. And, being born with a mild case of cerebral palsy, what were what was life like for you and your family there in Venezuela? Yeah, it took me a while to learn how to walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I had a lot of surgeries growing up. I've had, I think, like over 10 surgeries in my legs alone. It's mostly my right leg that's affected. So if you see me walk, I've come a long way. I've done a lot of um, physical therapy, but I still have like a, a mild limp um, because of my right leg. But, you know, I was grateful that my mom, you know, put me through therapy and had had me go to the best doctors to, to treat that. And in no way, you know, have I ever let it limit me. So, you know, I obviously struggled a little bit like in in school just with it. And like, I'd never let anybody know that I had it and I would always play it off as something else. But growing up, you know, I've come to realize that it's part of who I am and like it's never held me back in any way. So I shouldn't be embarrassed about it. So uh yeah, it was hard, but it was never like a, a, a barrier for me, if that makes sense. It it does. And it, it's thank you for sharing this um you know inside of you and the inner self of, of Stefano. And it's tough for kids because we all want to, as kids, you want to be the same. But as you said, it is who you are. So there's no reason to be embarrassed or to hide it. And yeah. there's no reason for anybody to not accept you any differently because of it. Right. I feel like kids will always be kids and they'll always, I wore braces, for example, and they'd be like, what, what is that on your legs? You know? And So there were just like little things like that, that kind of, I don't know, I just had to learn how to deal with, but after a while it was just part of who I was and I didn't pay, I didn't pay as much mind. Good for you, Stefano. (laughs) Thank you. What was it like for you and your mom to make the decision to say, we're going to leave our family and history behind and move from Venezuela to Canada? It was one of the hardest times of our lives. We had actually been kidnapped for what ended up being 11 weeks. And, you know, that was in itself one of the worst experiences ever. But when we were free, my mom saw the writing on the wall and she said, you know, we need to get out of here. This country is going downhill, um, among other things, you know. And like you said, 
we decided to pick up everything we had and traveled to a new country where we didn't know the language, where we didn't have our family, where we didn't have any friends and start a new life and go from, you know, having everything to living in a government shelter, you know, and being on government assistance for a few years. It's definitely d- difficult. Um, it's a big cultural change, but in hindsight, it's probably one of the best things my mom could have ever decided to do because we have family in Venezuela still. And, you know, like my mom has to contribute to them because they don't have, you know, food or they don't have medicine. Like my grandfather, who unfortunately passed away this year, you know, my mom was taking care of him from here because there was nothing there. So she would be the one to to send his medicines and stuff. And, you know, my whole family is professionals who, you know, very, very educated. And it's just really unfortunate that the the political um, circumstances of the country have forced everyone in that, in Venezuela to struggle. And I just hope that one day this country that, you know, was once one of the most prosperous countries in the world and, you know, most beautiful countries from a nature point of view and cultural point of view, like I really hope it um, comes back because it's a shame. Thank you. Uh, My condolences to you and your family for the loss of your grandfather. Uh, Thank you. I know he holds a special place in your heart with, with your memories. And you're the first person I've ever met that has ever, that has said that I was a, uh, hostage being kidnapped for 11 weeks. How old were you, Stefano? So this was the year before I moved to Canada. So I was about six years old. And yeah, because when I moved to Canada, I was seven. So, mm-hmm. And how were you treated when you were a captor? And what were the circumstances of you being released? Yeah, so it all had to do with my dad being pretty successful. He had a software company um, and, you know, these were like the early 90s or I mean, I guess not the early 90s because I was born in 1996, but the 90s where, you know, Internet was just taking off. My dad's company was a leader in software for businesses and the government knew that we were well off. We don't really know who our captors were, but we have some um, idea to believe that the government was involved. And, you know, obviously, like, when you're kidnapped, you're scared the whole time. But <laughs> the good thing was that they never hurt us. And um, they treated us pretty decently. There was always the threat of, you know, our life being taken away if the family didn't pay the ransom that was, you know, put on our heads. Um, but our family did. And um, they did it relatively quickly. We think we were held for longer just for intimidation purposes. Mm. Um, The the situation where we were kept, it was the way that I recall it. And like, mind you, it's, you know, I was really young, but it was like a hotel that had been stripped bare of everything. And we were kept in a room where there was, you know, only like a bathroom and mattresses on the bed and the like windows were shut. and that was our whole world for that amount of time. Um, You know, they fed us and they would bring in newspaper cartoons and things. But other than that, there was always that fear of 
you know, <laughs> being killed. And my mom had a minor stroke halfway through the whole thing. Um, she didn't get any medical attention until after her release. So that was honestly one of the scariest parts. Um, yeah. The bond that you and your mom have is very unique and strong. Yeah. yeah. My mom raised me as, you know, when we moved to Canada as a single mom. Um, so she was like my mother and my father, and we've been through a lot together. So, you know, we do have a very special bond. So I'm really happy that she's here <laughs> at I, the moment. <laughs> I, I bet you are. Is she living? Yeah. Does she live with you in Alpine or is she just visiting? She's just visiting. Um, she's living. She lives in Rochester, New York, in upstate New York, where where I lived before moving out here. Um, uh -huh. But she decided to come down for a week because it was my birthday this past Sunday. So, yeah. That's what moms do, man. Yeah. <laughs> my my mom would still do that if she was around for sure. Yeah. Yeah. My mom's pretty awesome. Now, where did you go to college in New York? I went to the uni University of Rochester. Oh, okay. Great university. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. Studied ecology and evolutionary bio there. And, um, you know, it's a small school, but it's really, really good academic school. And they gave me a scholarship. Um, I was able to study abroad while I was there. I, I spent my summers, you know, working in uh, game reserves in South Africa and different organizations in Botswana and studied abroad in the Galapagos and, you know, Ecuador, the Ecuadorian jungle. And like I said, I've always been really into wildlife and nature and conservation. So, you know, college was one of my favorite times ever because I was able to live and work in some of the world's most wild places. And like that really influenced, you know, my decision to go into conservation, obviously, and ecology. Um, yeah. So I feel really lucky to have gone to that university. What an experience. Um, yeah. When do you start writing your book? <laughs> I'm 26. I have to accomplish something crazy to write my book first. <laughs> okay. Um, well, overcoming cerebral, you know, living with cerebral palsy and being kidnapped at, at, at a young age and yeah. having the fortitude to overcome that and working in South Africa and the Galapagos Islands and now starting your own business. Um, you're, you're a man of many, many talents. And we're going to talk about your business in, in just yeah. a little bit, Stefano. I, I am just um, speechless with I learning that. <laughs> and, and humbled to sit here and talk with you and to hear your story about you and your mom and your family. Um, this means so much that you're taking the time to share. No, no, I, I'm honored to be here. And, you know, like, I, I don't think about it, like me being an amazing person that accomplished these things. It's like, Sometimes life just throws things at you and you just have to deal with them, you know? Um, and that's honestly the way that I, I, I view it. It's just, I'm lucky to have achieved and surpassed the challenges that I've, I've been dealt. And it hasn't been all me. You know, I've had incredible help along the way, whether it be for my mom or, you know, people at the university who took a chance on me you know, moving to Jackson, the people who, who hired me to come out here to this incredible place, this 
like people like the saying is, you know, I stand on the shoulders of giants and that's very much how I feel um, in, in my life and the things that I've achieved. Um, so, yeah. Well, Stefano, we're going to take a quick break to get a word from one of our sponsors and well, well stated words standing on the shoulders of giants. And I say that you're a giant. Somebody's going to be standing on your shoulder someday. Thank you, Stefan. Yeah. I appreciate that. We'll, we'll be right back. Compass Real Estate is the market leader in Jackson Hole, providing every client with unparalleled professionalism and breakthrough marketing strategies for fine properties. Their organization is comprised of dedicated and experienced real estate professionals, and they offer a collection of some of the most sought after properties in the Valley. For more information on buying or selling in Jackson Hole, visit compass.com or call 307. 337-6060. An additional support is coming from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, who is excited to announce the start of the new curb to compost program for restaurants and other commercial food waste generators. Recycling food waste by composting has many benefits to your business and the Jackson Hole environment. To discuss details about the Food Waste Compost Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov recycle and join today. Stefano, welcome back. Thank you. Um, it's good to be back. The, I had no, I, t- I want everybody to know that I, I did not have any background of who you were other than looking at your, your website and hearing the, your story of, of where, of how you've become or reached the point of your life now um, is a just remarkable, remarkable story. And you have overcome and really used the resources that have been available to you and, and, and used it in a good way that you didn't certainly didn't take advantage of anything. Um, you, you leaned into people who were willing to lean into you and, and you got what you put into it. Um, I've, I've been lucky to, um, to have been supported by some very incredible people in my life. Um, and you know, it's, it's why I always feel the urge to pay it, pay it forward and um, try, you know, for example, growing up, I had a mentor, someone that I consider a brother. His name was uh, Brian. And when I was going through high school, I got this really weird immune disease. I, I still have it, but pretty much I was connected to this medical student through this program, kind of like big brothers, big sisters, but through the hospital there in Rochester. And he became my big brother. And you know, he was 26 years old at the time and he saw, you know, potential in me and he got me to focus in school. And I remember as a high school 
11th, 12th grader, I would go to the University of Rochester graduate library and study with him and do my homework. And he was like, one day you're going to, you know, go to a great university and you're going to do all these things. And, you know, aside from my parents, like I had never had someone show me the potential, you know, that I could achieve. And, you know, just people like that in my life that have really had a huge influence and have helped me see like, you know, the things that I can achieve and push me in good directions when, you know, there could have been a lot of wrong turns, certainly. And yeah, I'm very grateful for those people. And I've been lucky to just have those very, very blessed people come into my life. We, we all need people like that. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we can all be somebody like that for somebody else. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like you don't know how much of an impact you can have on someone's life. Um, so, you know, whenever you can take someone under your wing or show them something, I think it's crucial to do it. Um, and, and I mean, we'll get to it, but I think that's part of the reason why I started the worm cowboy is, you know, by showing people the small impact that you can have by composting, it inspires you to, to take bigger actions in your life for the planet, for the community, things like that. So I, I truly believe in, in the impact that you can have um, for others. You just mentioned the word, the worm cowboy at your business, which you started. Why don't you tell us what the worm cowboy is and what your mission is? Certainly. Our mission is to feed the soil, not the landfill. <laughs> okay. It's a, it's a very, it's a very simple mission. Um, but I think it really describes kind of the whole essence of um, the company. So the worm cowboy is a vermi composting service for oh, house. Did I hear that right? A worming compost service. Vermi composting. Vermi. So vermi is, it means worm. It means worm. So worm composting, just a technical name. And I, I started, started it this year, but have been planning it for, you know, maybe a year before, after moving here and just being frustrated by the lack of, you know, recycling, waste management, um, practical solutions, I guess, living in Hoback, you know, like, we have to take our garbage or our recycling to the recycling center, which you know, it's awesome that we can do that. And it's great that, you know, Teton County has that service. But being from, you know, Toronto, and then Rochester, like for us, recycling is a curbside thing. It's something that you take your your blue bin to the curb every week, and then they come and recycle it for you. And, you know, I was just, you know, living with my roommates, learning that not a lot of things are actually accepted. And a lot of what we were throwing out on into the landfill were things that, you know, we could recycle or compost. And again, as a conservationist, it just kind of weighed on me a little bit. And I just had that in the back of my mind. And then I watched a movie, a documentary called The Biggest Little Farm. Highly suggest it for anybody who hasn't watched it. It's about um, these this family that uh, starts a fully sustainable, fully regenerative farm in California. And the way that they restore their soil out of this land that they purchased that had been fully depleted was by composting with worms. Hmm. The worms basically helped, you know, transform this barren land that had been, you know, after extensive cultivation for decades and pesticide use that had, you know, depleted the soils had fully transformed it into this abundant farm. Um, so I like was like, this is amazing. And got this book called, the Worm Farmer's Handbook, 
read it front to cover <laughs> in like a week. Like Ed just fell in love with the idea of composting with worms. And, you know, I, I have always been very, not always, but since college, very entrepreneurial and, you know, immediately saw an opportunity to create a vermicomposting business um, here in Jackson. And that's how the worm cowboy essentially was born. Um, way to get after it, Stefano. I applaud you being a business owner myself. Way to get after it. Yeah. You know, now, it's not easy, but it's no. definitely worth it. <laughs> Are you, do you work another job or is this your full time? You're all in. So I currently work at the Jackson Hole Conservation Alliance. That's, I am the marketing, I am the development and communications coordinator at the Alliance. I do marketing, um, communications, all that jazz. Like I said, I'm a huge conservationist and the Alliance was the reason why I moved out here um, in the first place. So I'm balancing both of my jobs <laughs> at this time. I have to do my compost runs early in the morning between seven and nine, because then I start my Alliance job from nine to five. So definitely like early mornings, late, <laughs> late nights, but that's the grind of having a little startup. That's right. It is. It is the grind. And share with everybody how your service works. Yeah, for sure. So I do compost pickup, curbside pickup. So for either uh, a weekly service in which we come pick up your compost bucket every week or bi-weekly every two weeks, you can sign up. And basically I give you a five gallon bucket. It's a black bucket with a big worm cowboy sticker and give it to you. You fill it up with your food scraps, our accepted items, you know, veggies, all pretty much all organic material. So veggies, food scraps, I accept meats and bones. And you take after that is filled, you take it out to your curb the morning of your service, either weekly or biweekly, again, depending on what you signed up for. And then I'll come by and I'll swap it. I'll swap your bucket with a fresh, clean, sanitized new one um, so that you can start composting again. And then I will, you know, take that bucket. Um, I have a process called pre-composting in which it's just thermophilic composting. I put it in this big box that has a, a fan on a timer, a blower, and it basically gets all that compost to temperatures of up to 140 degrees, which, you know, kill the pathogens, all the fly larvae. Um, it makes the all that compost into a homogenous mixture that the worms can then consume more readily um, and process quicker. And it's a lot healthier for them. And then after it pre-compost for three weeks, then I feed that compost to the worms. And uh, it takes about three months. You feed the worms every week, but after three months, you're ready to harvest your worm bin. And the, that pre-composted material, which was you know essentially just food scraps, and vegetables and yard coffee ground transforms into this incredible like humus substance that's like a rich it looks like soil and it smells like a earthy it smells like a forest and that's worm castings essentially um it's the best soil amendment that you can give to your plants to to help them grow and promote soil fertility you know totally natural zero you know um 
synthetic pesticides. And it's just kind of incredible to see your food turn into that. It's, it's a very like fulfilling, like feeling <laughs> as, as weird as it sounds. It's like super cool to see it, to replicate, you know, nature in, in my own house, essentially. That is so cool. I have yeah. a lot of questions for you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, and I forgot, like, you know, my customers get uh, compost returns, like finished worm casting returns twice a year in the spring and in the fall for them to use in their home plants, raised beds. If they want to donate to, you know, a community garden, they can. So it's, it's really awesome because you're not only reducing your food waste and your, your environmental footprint, you're, you're getting something back that promotes, you know, plant growth and healthy, like, you know, food production. If you have your own vegetables, um, your own fruits, it, it helps restore soils, which, you know, is another big problem is after centuries of industrial agriculture, the United States and very much the rest of the world has just depleted their soils. And the finished product that we, that we create is one of the best natural fertilizers, soil amendments that there is, you know? Um, so it's really exciting. So you take food, food scraps, such as veggies, fruit, do you take citrus, like a lemon, orange? Yep. Okay. So, um, so, and, and you also take meat. So trimmings, fat, bones, you said cooked yep. or uncooked. Yes, sir. So I try to limit uh, grease. So for example, I tell my customers if they cook their bacon and they have grease, like probably don't put that in your bucket, but other wow. types of meat, I, I do accept. Um, you know, the saying is if it grows, it goes. Things that I don't accept are obviously like plastics. I don't accept chemicals of any sort. I don't accept uh, yard trimmings with, you know, chemicals in it or like um, pet waste, like, or, or droppings, you know, like just because of the potential for an, an contamination of like, you know, things like that. But the incredible thing about my pre-composting operation, um, that box that heats up to 140 degrees is that it helps me break down things like citrus that otherwise would be hurtful for the worms. Um, because, you know, the worms, if you were just giving them raw food, there's a bunch of things they couldn't eat, like citrus, onions, for example, uh, meats, you know, are said they can, but it just makes your, your worm bin smell bad. By pre-composting, you're able to process a lot more food and accept a lot more things than traditional, just, you know, raw feeding. And um, it's pretty, pretty awesome. And is there a particular type of worm that you're using? Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of people ask me if they can just start composting with earthworms that they find in their backyard and they can't. <laughs> like the simple answer is that no, there's over a thousand species of earthworms in the world and only about three or four are able to, to compost. And the most popular species is the red wriggler. Uh, Sina is the scientific name. These little guys are uh, horizontal burrowers. So instead of digging down, they stay like in the top layers, which is great because you feed your compost in layers in your compost bins and they will go through it. And then you just keep adding layers and they won't go down. They'll just keep, you know, eating the top and they're dropping the castings. It's worm poop essentially stays at the bottom. So after, you know, three months or 90 days, you harvest your worm bin. Basically, you 
fix it and you remove all of the, you know, unfinished material, things that haven't been processed by the worms yet and collect the black gold, which is the finished worm castings. The awesome thing is that they reproduce, they double in population every 90 days too. So whenever I harvest one worm bin, I'm ready to start two new ones. And huh. yeah, I'm able to process even more compost, you know? So uh, the, the little red wrigglers are like, <laughs> I've really come to fall in love with this <laughs> little critter um, and they're really amazing. So I would love to, to share my love and um, admiration for, for these little worms. How, how long does it look, the worm survive? What's the lifespan? So they can live up to five years, one to five years, which is pretty incredible. And they reproduce every, like I said, every 90 days. They, have, huh. um, they, they lay an egg pretty much. And in that egg, there's about four up to seven little baby red wrigglers. And the awesome thing is that red wrigglers are both male and female. They are um, hermaphroditic. So you need two worms to produce, but either worm can play the male or female role. So, you know, in 90 days, you have double your population. And, you know, I have about my worm bins are about three square feet, maybe like two and a half. I have about 3,000 worms in each bin, which is about... Um, 1,000 worms is about one pound. So you can imagine just like the total amount of worms that I, <laughs> that I have in my little worm farm. I have, you know, I think I have almost 50,000 worms right now, which is crazy, but I want to get to millions and millions to, to be able to process at the scale that I want to. And you started this when? No, I started it in like eight months ago, maybe like uh -huh. over the summer of last year, I started my first worm bin. I wasn't composting anybody's waste except my own. Um, and really just learned by doing it, you know, started with my own one worm bin. And then a few months later, decided to start composting my neighbors. So I have 10 people in my neighborhood who signed up to compost with me. And it took me a while to really nail down my, you know, pre-composting system and have enough worms to process their stuff. And um, when I felt comfortable enough composting their things, I was like, all right, I think I might be ready to, you know, launch a, a service here and officially launched the company February 1st. So we've been composting for a couple of months now and currently have uh, 27 clients in mostly Jackson, but we also have some here in Alpine and in Wilson. So it's really awesome that People are excited about it. And, and now I'm doing my first compost returns for those customers that signed up the first month. So people who signed up in February are getting their, their four gallons of finished worm castings. And, you know, they're very, very excited to use it in their home plants and stuff. And it's just cool for them to see their, their buckets full of, you know, their, their food scraps turn into this finished mm -hmm. compost material. So mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a service that you really like see the benefit of. And that's, I think, one of the coolest things, because when it comes to sustainability, it's really hard to see our, our impact. It's really mm -hmm. hard to like see the benefit that we're doing. But with the Worm Cowboy, you literally see the food that you're diverting from the landfill every week, and you get to see the finished soil amendment that you make, you know, in the spring and in the fall. So I think it's, it's really that's fulfilling. Awesome. Um, the big question, how do you make money? Your, how do you make money? Are you charging for the service? Yeah. So our week, so our biweekly, so every two weeks service is $16 a month and our weekly service is $25 a month. So a lot of people will start with biweekly 
you know, they think I don't produce that much compost or compostable waste. And then they'll switch to weekly after realizing that like they're producing a lot of food waste. About half of our trash is compostable. So like you can imagine how much trash we're, we're filling up. Wow. We got to get you some so, more customers, man. Yeah. I, I you know, I want. I have ideas. I'll share them with you <laughs> offline. That'd be awesome. Um, I, I think there's a couple other revenue paths that I see that are, um, that I haven't started yet just because I'm scaling, you know, I'm starting out, but pretty much selling, uh, you know, worm castings or eventually soil mixes with worm castings to vineyards, you know, farmers that are into organic agriculture, regenerative agriculture in, in like California and Colorado with the growing marijuana industry. A lot of them want to use sustainable, you know, zero pesticides, zero synthetic fertilizers, um, like soil amendments, like worm casting. So there's a lot of markets for the finished product. And then also I want to start selling like worm bins made out of repurposed wood. So let's like imagine wood pellets and these worm bins would be, you know, small, but like very like, like pretty, uh, and functional and they would be for families that want to start their own little worm farms in their homes you know i do know i do know this there are pallets galore in this community and probably every community where people would be yeah. happy for you to say yes take my pallets <laughs> yeah so like for me that's super exciting because you're you know getting you're repurposing wood that otherwise would be burnt or thrown away and you're selling these worm beautiful worm bins for people to start composting at home and, you know, encouraging their kids to compost or, you know, like recycling their own food waste. So I think that that's another really big opportunity that I'm excited to, you know, go into hopefully soon. Mm -hmm. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's just a lot of work right now. Like just doing this full or like, I guess part-time while balancing my full-time job. I want to do a lot. It's just tough, man. (laughs) But yes. like I, I take step by step and, you know, hopefully we'll have my first prototype for this little worm bin this, this summer. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Now, Stefano, we are coming towards the end of having this phenomenal, informative and just heartfelt conversation. Wow, it's been awesome. I'm sad that it's coming to an end. Um, is there any, I guess, I don't want to say negative, but is there any adverse impact to what you're doing? So is there more carbon being produced, but you know, that's just what's going to happen. So do you hear what I'm saying for every action yeah. equal and opposite reaction? Well, when it comes to the carbon emissions, you know, the biggest, this is not going to completely answer your, your question. And I apologize, but I think it's important to say like, the biggest emission that comes from our landfills is methane. So when food decomposes anaerobically as it does in our landfills, it produces methane gas, which is a greenhouse gas. It's about 25 times more potent than carbon dioxide. And that is the main you know, greenhouse gas emission that comes from landfills. When you compost, instead of, instead of decomposing that food waste anaerobically, which means without air, uh, you know, we pre-compost it and feed it to our worms and it decomposes in aerobic conditions. 
it prevents that methane from leaking out. So it, you know, that's where the biggest environmental benefit comes from is from the prevention of methane gas in escaping the atmosphere. We also, you know, like prevent leachate, which is, you know, toxic water from, you know, decomposing material from running into our water sources, you know, rivers, et cetera. Um, so from an environmental point of view, composting is, again, one of the best things that you can do as an individual to reduce your environmental footprint. You know, when it comes to our service, I, I do it. I do our compost pickups with electric, with an electric car. So huge, like sustainable nerd again. Like I love Elon Musk as controversial as that might be. One of my life goals was always to get a Tesla. And this year with the business coming up, I was like, I want this business to be fully sustainable. So I bought a Model Y, a Tesla Model Y and with a hitch and bought a little trailer and, you know, do all my compost pickups with a zero emission uh, a vehicle, which, you know, you can argue, like, where is the energy from filling that vehicle coming from, which, you know, Wyoming, Wyoming is coal. Yes. But the goal would be eventually to transition to a fully, you know, solar powered vehicle fleet. Again, we're trying to reduce the emissions from garbage trucks that, you know, are these big gas guzzling things that travel hundreds of miles, you know, because Teton County doesn't have its own landfill goes out. So in every way, I'm trying to be a, a fully sustainable, like regenerative company, but obviously like, you know, still I need to get the solar panels, for example, or I need, I would want to capture my own rainwater so that we are a fully water positive company. But I, I would say like, you know, it, it there is, this is a way better alternative to traditional landfills and waste management companies, which is why I started the company in the first place. It's a lot of work, um, but I, I don't think there are any like negative consequences to composting. Mm -hmm. There are, of course, you know, living in this incredibly wild ecosystem, the, the possibility for conflict with wildlife, which has been a hot topic, you know, with the current land development regulations and bears getting into trash and stuff. But I try to work with my customers to, you know, I tell them, bring your bucket out the morning of your service. Don't leave it out overnight. And for many of them, I have things where they'll leave it in a shed and then I'll like go into the shed and pick up their compost there. So I would say that that's, you know, the biggest uh, thing that I'm concerned for. Luckily, we haven't had any conflict with wildlife yet. And most of our customers are very, you know, wildlife friendly and, you know, consider that obviously a possibility. And I'm always looking for ways to be an environmentally friendly service because I'm a conservationist and I want this to be a positive for our, for our community and for, our, you know, the ecosystem that we're so blessed to live in. So, yeah. Thank you, Stefano. I have a friend who's developing, he's working on developing the first bear proof composting device. So I'll put you in touch with him. You That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Stefano, what's the name of your website and how can people, is that how people can connect with you through your website? Yeah, it's thewormcowboy.com. Very simple. I love it. Um, there yeah. you can sign up for service. You can, you know, learn how we do it, the benefits of composting. Um, but yeah, you know, service is super simple. You just sign up and I give you a bucket and you just start composting that same week. I love it. Stefano. You're an inspiration. I am so <laughs> amped to go yeah. tackle my day after talking to you. Thank you so much. 
I really appreciate that. It's been an honor being here and sharing, you know, the business with the community. I'm really honored to be a part of the Jackson Hole family. And, you know, I really hope that the Worm Cowboy could be my little way of paying it forward um, for this awesome community that has accepted me in. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Stefano. Say hi Thank to you mom. so much. Enjoy your Thank visit. you for having me. Yes, for sure. She's really excited that I did this podcast this morning. <laughs> she was cool. giving me some elevation facts while we were talking. <laughs> That's great. Take care, Stefano. Thank you. Have a good one, Stefan. Thank you. Bye-bye. To learn more about The Worm Cowboy, Stefano Daza Arango, visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 186. Thank you, everybody, who helped keep this podcast going each week. Michael Morey for doing the marketing and editing. If you want to start a podcast, get connected with Michael Morey. He can help you out because that's what Michael does. And of course, my wife and my boys, Lewis and William and my wife, Laura, I appreciate you sharing your time with me today. Cheers till next week when I see you right here for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.